0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Million Grinders podcast. So for this first episode of 2021, I invited Tiana Tai, a team dynamic consultant who's going to talk about how to be a leader as a solopreneur working with contractors. I hope you will enjoy it. Welcome to The Grind podcast. I'm your host, Erica Peter, content marketing specialist, journalist, and founder of The Grind. So The Grind is a platform dedicated to millennial creatives, marketers, and coaches. If you want to understand how to build a successful business, make sure you subscribe. Every week, I will interview successful entrepreneurs and I will give you marketing tips. So welcome to the family. Hello, Tiana. Welcome to the Million Grinders podcast. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Same here. I mean, I'm really happy to have you here because, you know, I believe that when it comes to entrepreneurship, we talk about a lot of things, but we don't talk enough about the importance of being a great leader. And you know what? I can't wait to talk about all that with you. But before starting with this interview, I'm going to let you introduce yourself.
1: Yes, I would love to. So always a fun, fun challenge to try to introduce yourself, put yourself into just a few words. Uh, In a nutshell, my name is Tiana Tai. I am a team dynamics consultant and trained industrial organizational psychologist. So all things surrounding teams and leadership, particularly virtual teams, are really my jam. You know, I kind of, in terms of entrepreneurship, I went more of that traditional route. So did the whole undergrad thing, ended up going for my master's in IO psychology, which was a total pivot because very much behind the scenes, y'all, I was the person who literally from being like 16 years old, just happy-go-lucky, I'm going to be a therapist, lol, until I actually interned in some therapy offices and got some mentors. And I was like, wait a second, we're going to need to pivot. So thank goodness, God and the universe, everybody conspired to get me into industrial organizational psychology because it is totally my thing. And I know it's a really long word and a lot of people are like, ma'am, what are you even talking about? So in a nutshell, IO Psych is basically uh, studying human behavior as it applies directly to the workplace. So literally, how do we You know, make decisions about the jobs that we want? How do we ensure the team members that we hire, how do we ensure they're engaged and motivated and really fulfilled? All of the nitty gritty around understanding that psychological aspect of what goes on when we're at work is my happy place. And I just, I don't know, I I get super excited about it and I get really, really nerdy about it because to me, if I'm going to be spending one third of my life Doing something which is working, I want to make for damn sure that I enjoy it. But more importantly, the people that I bring into my company, I want to make sure they enjoy it too, right? Like it's really always been super important to me to build a team, build a company that people want to work for, you know? So that's kind of the energy. That's kind of my vibe that I've brought into the entrepreneur space coming from a very diverse background in corporate consulting with literal like pharmaceutical companies, Fortune 500s. I'm looking at the people who actually put out the COVID vaccine. You know what I'm saying? Like those are my traditional consulting clients, but really took a major pivot about a year ago and came into the entrepreneur sphere just full force because you guys have this really, really incredible, beautiful opportunity to start building these companies the right way with intention from the ground up. And it's just an honor for me to even play a small role in that. I love it. You know, you mentioned that you are
0: particularly interested in the virtual leadership aspect. What interested
1: you the most about it? Ooh, good question. Um, I think it was kind of personal for me, if I'm being honest about it. So... You know, I'm a millennial through and through, and a lot of my own work experience, just not even by design, by I don't know, circumstance, has happened to be virtual. So, probably about three quarters of the roles that I've had in my career, although most of them ironically did not start out as virtual just over time and because of different circumstances and whatnot, kind of turned into quasi, you know, 50% up to 90% virtual work. So because I had all of that experience compounded with going in to get my master's and you know how like education goes, they're like, you know, you got to specialize in something, figure out what you're really interested in. And I was like, hmm, I've had great bosses when I was working virtually, and I've had not so great bosses. What's the difference there? What really makes someone an exceptional leader for people that they maybe only see once a year, if that? So that's really what got me into it, just my own personal experience
0: interesting and I'm assuming the pandemic might have <laughs> accelerated the transition toward oh, yeah. virtual leadership
1: absolutely yeah there's a lot of people I don't know I think that my audience has kind of diversified a bit because you know traditionally it was the online entrepreneur sphere which is fantastic. Love y'all. Shout out to y'all. But with COVID and everything else going on, it's definitely expanded because most brick and mortar businesses, some which way, have had to step into some sort of virtual arrangement with at least a few of their team members, if not all of them. So that's been really, really interesting to see.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So just to go back a bit, what motivated you to move from the corporate world to entrepreneurship? Ooh,
1: so I won't tell a lie. I've actually still got... A foot in both, so I haven't completely given up on my corporate loves. I'll tell y'all the truth. So, basically, for me as a consultant, you know, I get to choose how I spend my time. So, about fifty percent of my time currently, I'm still supporting and serving corporate clientele. So, still stepping into, you know, meetings with executive leaders in Fortune 500 companies. It's a very different job. Is basically what I will crack it up to. Different issues. You know, they always say like new level. Devils, new devils. So, for a corporate company, you know, with 10,000 plus employees, leadership looks a lot different. And the things we talk about and the issues we tackle are super different than what we're doing in the entrepreneurship sphere. Now, entrepreneurs, obviously, as y'all are popping and y'all get more and more successful, your companies grow, so on and so forth, some of your challenges do start to overlap. And what I've seen that's been really, really cool is at the core, a lot of the challenges genuinely are the same. Issues with making sure your team is accountable to, you know, fulfilling their role if they're motivated and inspired and engaged at work, especially during a year that we just came out of like 2020. That was really, really hard for our leaders at every single level to do. So what I will say is why I started stepping into more of that entrepreneur space again is genuinely because I saw such a beautiful opportunity because as an entrepreneur you're literally in charge of everything. Like you get to decide, there's no, you know, there's no glass ceiling, there's no board of directors stopping you from, you know, giving your employees bonuses or doing unique things or really pushing outside of the box the box is yours. Like we can rip it up, burn it. We can do whatever the heck we want to do with the box. You know what I mean? So that's what really lights me up about working with entrepreneurships and entrepreneurs, excuse me, in particular is just the fact that we can start from scratch and really build something beautiful together.
0: I love that. And speaking about the fact that entrepreneurs are in charge of everything, you know, most of our listeners are in the early stage of their businesses. So we're talking about creatives, marketers, Mm -hmm. and coaches. So, you know, they all have to wear all the hats. (laughs) And when they hire, most of the time they hire contractors. So what is the best way for them to lead themselves to stay productive while wearing all the hats in their businesses?
1: Ooh, interesting question. It's honestly, especially in those early stages of entrepreneurship, Genuinely, and this is such a non-sexy, sucky answer, but it's about getting that back end organized. And what I mean by that is leading yourself effectively is making sure that your business has systems and processes in order, right? So to break it down super simply, typically what we're seeing for entrepreneurs who are making let's say, you know, between zero to up to like $200,000 per year in revenue, not, you know, not in profit, but in revenue. Mm -hmm. And we are spending so much time and rightfully so ensuring that their systems are top quality. They are spending so much time making sure they are automating as many things as they possibly can. And that is time well spent. As a solopreneur, the biggest Best thing you can start doing for yourself. And I've got tons of resources, ma'am. We can make sure to put them in the uh, podcast notes for everybody. But the best thing you can do for yourself is start documenting what the heck you, as the business owner, are doing. So for example let's say you know, you're know you still running all of your social media accounts, right? So one of the hats you wear is a social media manager. I've been there, did that for a long time myself. <laughs> so when you are going out and let's say generating leads, when you're going out on Instagram and trying to connect with new people, new ideal client avatars, what does that process look like? Document it, write it down, make a loom. That's my favorite thing to do. Uh, pull up any sort of screen recording video software, Loom can do it, Zoom can do it, whatever, it doesn't really matter, and record yourself doing the tasks, particularly the tasks that you do well and the tasks that you can see yourself outsourcing at some point. Now, the reason I say that, let's stick with the example of social media manager if the way you do your own lead generation on Instagram is super specific and you're really great at it because you know exactly, you know, the key things to look for to be like, "Yep, that's my ideal client." If you can write that down and pass it on when you eventually do outsource to a social media manager, you will be more so setting them up for success. Now, of course, if you're hiring someone who's a genuine expert at what they do, they may have some tweaks and some recommendations for you on how to really improve that process. But Nine times out of 10, it is so much better than starting from scratch with a new hire. Please, 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 whatever you do, start documenting what the heck you are doing on a daily basis. And if you're lazy and you don't wanna be creating documents out of the wazoo, just turn that screen recorder on and record that bad boy and just put it in a Google Drive and save it for later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And you know, like you were talking about automating, you know, like your business. Mm -hmm. And I hear about this a lot, but someone who's starting out, they don't have the same resources as someone who's been in business for a while. And you know it, most of the tools that allow an entrepreneur to automate their businesses are pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, what would be your best advice for someone who's starting out, wants to automate their businesses with that? Feeling that they're losing all their money?
1: Excellent question. Um, I'm just going to give you my personal perspective on this. There's a lot of different answers, a lot of different people will give you, but I will tell you what I would invest in over and over and over again. When I literally, you know, the first uh, six months of my business, nobody knew who the heck I was. I think I literally made like $500. You know what I mean? So I've been there. The one system that I would uh, invest in time and time again is a client relationship management system. A CRM, I use Dubsado. Uh, Other people I know a lot of creatives, photographers, designers, and whatnot use HoneyBook. I've heard fantastic things about that. I personally am a Dubsado gal. I know there's other systems out there. Please, there are a gazillion and one systems experts that y'all can talk to, but I'm telling you, figuring out how to automate a lot of that client onboarding, right? All of those processes for the various services and offers that you have will save you so much time. Makes a lot of sense.
0: You know, when you go on social media platform, people are talking about so many tools, you know, and like you said, you don't need to use all of them. You need just to find one that works for you and go from there. Um, Okay, so... I want to go back to when is the time to actually find contractors. I was wondering how to find, you know, the tasks that can be delegated. Ooh,
1: that's one of my favorite questions. So excited you asked. Okay. So this is one of the resources that I will make sure you guys get totally free. And it's called the daily work log. Essentially, it is one of those task uh, matrix type of resources. But in a nutshell, what it's going to do for you, I'll walk you through it real quick. On a daily basis, because most entrepreneurs tend to batch work, work on certain things each day. So basically, we recommend you do this over the course of about a week, um, maybe even two if you really want to go there. But on a daily basis, you're going to document all of the tasks that you're doing, as well as the tasks that are not getting done. Because we all have them to-do lists where stuff is not getting done on a daily basis. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So you're going to want to document both. But beyond just creating a list, a list is great, that's fantastic, but let's take it a step further. Of those tasks, I will have you decide, can this be automated? With the system, so for example, a client onboarding could be automated with Dubsado. Can this be delegated or outsourced, right? So I can delegate this to a future hire, or is this something in my zone of genius that I would like to personally keep doing as the CEO and the business owner, right? And then beyond that, we're going to take it another step further. And I'm going to have you actually think through of these tasks that say delegate, for example, Do I see any patterns? Are, is half of my list tasks that you know a podcast manager could do? Is half of my list tasks that a social media manager could accomplish for me or an executive assistant, so on and so forth? So you really are going to start looking for the patterns in the things that you're doing or not doing because you don't got the time on a daily basis. And then one step deeper, I like to dig really deep with this stuff, you're going to think through which of these tasks are revenue generating, right? Because the beautiful thing is if you can identify certain things that are revenue generating and you want to go ahead and delegate to someone, that's a really powerful indication that that new hire may actually make you money rather than simply be costing you money. So that's one of those fun ones that gets people like, "Oh, wait a second. If I hire, you know, this Instagram lead generation expert, And she promises that we are going to get at least, you know, 10 qualified leads a month. And my conversion rate is this percent. So I know for a fact I'll get two um, new clients per month and that's going to generate me this amount of revenue. This is a great hire. You know what I mean? So literally getting that deep is really what I recommend. It sounds like a lot, swear to God. It's just a PDF. It's not hard to do. So we'll make sure that resource is in the speaker notes for y'all.
0: Thank you so much. Um, And, you know, outsourcing, it's a big decision for most people. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that just like me, you've seen all of these posts on social media of people insisting on the value of outsourcing, you know, right from the (laughs) beginning. I mean, come on. Like we often hear if you don't invest in your business, it won't be profitable. But for me, Outsourcing is really a calculated decision. Um, And the way I see it is just because it's the right time for someone, it doesn't mean that it's the right time for you, because not only it's a financial decision, financial investment, actually, but it's also an emotional and time-consuming investment because you have to take care of someone. So I was wondering, according to you, how can a solopreneur identify when is the right time to outsource?
1: what a beautiful question first of all i am not the one to sugarcoat this and people tend to be surprised about me because literally one of the services that my business provides like we have hiring courses we do consultations and intensives about this stuff i will never be the one to push someone to start hiring before they need to y'all know what i'm saying so i don't like that culture fyi but what i will tell you just from a straight up perspective First things first, you got before you hire, you've got to be intimate with your numbers. Like we've got to see how much revenue you're generating. How much of that revenue is dedicated to operational expenses, right? Of those operational expenses, how much is going to all those dang, all, you know, your website domain and this and that and this. How much money is left over to even consider hiring, right? I'm not a financial expert. There are simple things you can do, but I definitely always recommend getting financial advice about this. Y'all like, It is money. It's not just emotions, but from a very real and tactical perspective, we have to make sure that we're going to have consistent enough money and cash flow to be able to pay this new hire. And I'm not even talking, you know, pay someone for 40 hours a week. We're not even talking full-time hires, y'all. But the reality is for entrepreneurship, and y'all know this, there can be a lot of ebbs and flows. In the amount, one month you may make $10,000, $15,000, and the next month you may make three. How does that impact your ability to pay somebody the money that you've promised them? You know what I'm saying? So for that reason, I always, always, always recommend getting a financial advisor, CPA, whomever is in your corner, getting their perspective just from a money perspective. Now, aside from that, of course, I always say, As soon as the value of what you do in your role outweighs the cost to outsource to somebody, it is time to start considering hiring. So simply put, let's say your hours billable, let's say you charge $200 per hour. I'm just going to throw out a number. And let's say no matter how your services break down, if you divide the number of hours that you work for any particular service, it works out to $200 an hour. Okay. Great. If you want to outsource uh, podcast management, we're on a podcast right now. Erica knows how much work this podcast is, right? (laughs) And the person you want to outsource to charges $100 an episode. I want you to sit down for real and be honest with yourself and think about this when you go and record the episode that you can't you can't outsource that part but if you sit down and do your own post production and your own uploading to the websites and the platforms and all of those things literally time it how long is that actually taking you and then compare it is it worth my time if i could, if i'm turning down clients right If I'm turning down clients that would be paying me a minimum of $200 per hour to do a task that takes me two and a half hours, whereas I could pay somebody $100 to cover the whole task for me and I only have to do the recording for 45 minutes, uh, I'm making a bad business decision. So like thinking about it from that perspective is often extremely powerful. The only caveat I will throw in there, because I am a realist, y'all, like I'm not going to like, Uh, try to sell you fairy tales and sunshine. If you're, uh, again, this is about consistent revenue, consistent income, consistent clientele. If it's not consistent, right? If you're not actively turning away clients to go and edit that podcast or go and uh, write that email sequence, then maybe you can keep the hat. I'm not going to tell you a lie. A lot of people will still promote outsourcing. And if you feel comfortable to outsource and you're just like, I want to take on the risk, even though things are not as consistent, do you be brave. You will grow. I believe in you. You can scale that way. But don't buy into this. Don't feel pressure to start outsourcing for things when even the actual services that you are offering are not performing consistently for you yet. It's gone bad. I've seen it. Did that make sense? Yes, of course. Sorry for being so down, but I hate when people sugarcoat
0: it, you know? Yeah, me too. Like I've seen so many of these posts on social media all the time. I'm like, you know, in my business, you know what I mean? I'm the one in charge. So I have to figure this out for myself. But I really want to go back to the mental aspect of hiring a contractor because again, it's a person you have to take care of. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering how Can someone identify when they are mentally
1: ready to kind of lead someone? Ooh, I love that. Okay. What I'm going to say is if you're asking yourself that question, like if you're listening to this episode right now, nodding your head along because you're like, yes, how do I know? Okay. You are already a couple of steps down the path of being ready. Why? Anybody who is actively questioning it and kind of feeling maybe even a little bit of fear or a little bit of pressure around the responsibility of hiring, whether it's for five hours a week or 25 hours a week, you are thinking the right way. Why? Hiring is a responsibility, okay? It just is. Like you are taking on this awesome, beautiful, incredible responsibility. To one, provide par- at least part of someone else's livelihood for them, but also, you know, I'm not just about outsourcing, delegating, and management, I'm about leadership. So now you're taking on the responsibility of leading people, of inspiring people, of taking an actual interest in what their professional goals are and figuring out how you can support them as a leader, right? So if you're asking yourself these questions, kudos to you. The reality is we never feel ready. I'm like laughing as I say it. I literally am a hiring and teams and leadership expert. And I was scared to hire y'all. Like we never feel ready, but that is okay. As long as you are doing what you're doing right now, actively seeking out the resources and the mentorship to help you get ready, you're going to be okay. Okay. But you know what?
0: Okay let's do something. I'm going to throw out some words to you. Okay. <laughs> These are imposter syndrome, ego, fear of disappointing, pressure to being present. All those things Oof. are things that entrepreneurs can go through. You know what I mean? Because they are a yeah. human being. Um, and like the two first ones, like imposter syndrome and ego are the biggest one for me because imposter syndrome everybody go through that. Um, It's something we learn to deal with. But the ego part is something else, meaning that you are an expert in your own field, Mm -hmm. and then you need to hire people. And these people have their own expertise as well. And I'm pretty sure that many entrepreneurs fall in the trap of wanting to show, you know, that I know my shit, you know, like, I hired you, but I know my shit. And I just want to have a couple of advice regarding that point, how to deal with all those things that mentally speaking an entrepreneurs go through and they have to sometimes you know they just have to step back when they're leading a team
1: mm-hmm. okay so i was giggling as you were describing that because i just did um a Tide pod episode on my own podcast about why you should start hiring people that are smarter than you <laughs> And when Mm. I wrote when I wrote the title, I was giggling because I was like, this is gonna rub people the wrong way. But what we really talk about is why hiring people that are smarter than you in their particular zone of genius is the best business decision you can make, right? And I feel like that really touches on that question of ego. Like, I am the expert. I built this business from the ground up. Nobody can do it like me. Nobody loves my clients as much as I do. Yada yada yada. You know what I mean? And Honestly, y'all, if you can start bringing people onto your team that give you a run for your money, you will make a greater impact in this world. And ego is one thing. I get it. I struggle with it as well. But I want you to ask yourself, is this about you shining Or is this about you making whatever impact you have claimed all these months, all these years is why you got into this business in the first place? Like, which one is it? You know what I mean? Because if the answer, which I hope it is, if the answer is you have done this and worked the early mornings and the late nights to actually make impact in this world, Then having people on your team again who give you a run for your money, who contribute opinions, who push back when you say certain things, and y'all got to go back and forth a little bit to really duke it out about which idea is the best. That is a beautiful thing. And that's what actually builds a company. Like it's real cute when we are out here, you know, a team of two, and nobody's ever challenging us because our team member is like our executive assistant who's just handling admin. That's adorable that's fine and that's a you know well designed business model in its own right if that's what you want but if you're trying to scale and grow and impact more people and all of the things we cannot be scared of our team members challenging us and if they are challenging us we hired them well i literally have a client right now, who is bringing me in to do a, I call it a team refresh session, but she's bringing me in to custom curate a facilitation and uh, basically an experience for her entire team. And one of her complaints, y'all, literally, one of her complaints is the fact that her team treats her with deference, which is like, you know, like you treat like a king or a queen and you're kind of just like, yes, ma'am. And they never question her. They never challenge her. They never like come out with these really strong opinions or anything like that. And she's like, it's really nice that they're respectful, but I need them to be brave and to start contributing ideas and whatnot because, honestly, at this point, she's like, I want to start working four-hour workdays. Like, I want to take a couple of steps back at this point in my career, so I need a team that's brave and wants to speak up. It's so interesting that in the early parts of our journey, so many of us are really resistant to that. But the the more seasoned entrepreneurs that I work with that have been in the game for a while, they're like, heck no, get me someone feisty and get me someone smart.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. It makes a lot of sense. But I have a, a follow-up question to that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, having someone who keeps you in check could help because I'm I'm just going to give you some background information. So um, I used to work in a marketing agency and my bosses, they were not coming from that background. They always say we hired people who are smarter than us. And we found as a team, there were limits to when they were willing to really listen. And a couple of times it actually happened that we pitched ideas they will get mad and say, oh, we hire, you guys can be better than that. And it actually happened that the idea that we pitch another company would do it. And when another company did it and the campaign was successful, they would be like, oh, you see what they did. So they could not <laughs> even remember No jokes. Those are true stories. Uh They couldn't even remember that we actually pitched those ideas, that we were actually effective and creative uh, because they wanted to show off. You know, they had their egos. And um, again, we are all aware that we want people who are smarter than us, you know, when we're hiring. Uh, But keeping ourselves in check is uh, actually can be a challenge. You know what I mean? So, do I don't know? Like, some people have business coaches and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like, what is your own methodology to making sure that you are actually listening to your team? I'm sorry, that was a long question.
1: It's a fantastic (laughs) question, though. Uh, I think you kind of touched on it just a minute ago when you said some people have business coaches. Yeah. And some people have leadership coaches, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that I provide for some of my clients. But, obviously that tends to happen at you know a more mature level in your business where you're managing at least you know a team of 3 a team of 2 plus you know what i'm saying but it be- it does become one of those things where that is one of those day to day exercises and experiences and at the very least like if you don't get a leadership coach if you don't have a business coach with ample experience in being an effective leader i'm not just talking about a business coach who's like had teams, you know what I'm saying? Like you've you have proof that they've led teams well. Let's just put it that way. Um, get you an honest friend, and <laughs> I'll just say that like you have to have someone in your life that can check you when you are you know engaging in those behaviors. And that's just one of those really simple answers, but it's true because this is this is the day to day stuff that we're talking about now. It's not so much strategy or theory. It's like no, no, no. Who in my life is going to check me? when I'm acting a fool with my team. <laughs> I love that. Uh, moving on. Another thing that is very important in
0: entrepreneurship is branding. So when we talk about branding, many people stick to the external aspect of branding, meaning the message spread to your potential clients. But branding, it's also something that lives inside a business. And Nowadays we call it company culture. Again, mm-hmm. things can be different when you work with contractors. So, can a solopreneur make a team of contractors their biggest
1: advocate? They can. I will be honest, it's really really hard. You know what I mean? And there are a couple of things we have to acknowledge when it comes to comes to subcontractors. Many of them have multiple bosses, you know, they have multiple people that they are responsible to, they have multiple teams that they are a part of, right? So let's take, for example, again, a social media manager it could very well be likely that your social media manager, the one that you want to be so lit up and dedicated to your team, is on five other teams and has a collective 35 teammates. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that is the unique reality of subcontractors, particularly and you know you can actually hire a contractor or a subcontractor w9 full shebang to work for you full time i've actually been a consultant in an agency like that where i still was a full time contractor but 9 times out of 10 what we're talking about here erica is hiring subcontractors to work a lot more modest amounts of times and you had, you just have to be super honest the more modest like if they're only working 5 hours a week for you okay they have other bosses and other responsibilities, period. How else would they be paying their bills? Unless you pay them a thousand dollars an hour. Them five hours are not bankrolling their whole life. You know what I mean? So when it comes to getting them to really feel like a team and be so lit up about your team, you have to do things that stand out in the sea of other bosses and other responsibilities that they have. So for example, uh you know, actually having meetings, you know, wow, you're going to see their face. That's incredible. I have met so many subcontractors in this world, ma'am, who have met their CEO on a Zoom one time in like six months and never saw their, excuse me, never saw their face again, right? Bonding checking in with people one-on-one like do you actually know what's happening in their personal life do you actually know what their professional goals are how can you help them with their professional goals so i have a couple of clients who have a team of contractors and one thing they do is any of their products and services fair game for their subcontractors a lot of times if there is you know a bundle or a sale or a conference that they see that would really really support the professional development of one of their subcontractors they will gift it to them um you know other little things but at the end of the day it is kind of about taking that extra step to treat your subcontractors as if they are your employees i will keep it real with you though erica A lot, a lot of my clients do end up, one, they'll hire subcontractors and they will communicate to them, hey, depending on the growth of the business, I have the intention of bringing you on as an employee. Is that something you would be interested in? That's like an interview question. You know what I'm saying? Like for real, if you know that your business is going to grow and scale and you could potentially do that, put that on the table really, really early because it really increases the level of commitment that you get from somebody. Uh, But beyond that, a lot of people I know, especially once their business is kind of surpassing that 300K mark consistent revenue ongoing, uh, they start hiring full on employees. And they've kind of shifted away from subcontractors just a little bit more, mainly because it's just a really big ask to ask somebody who's on five teams to give you their all. It's not possible. You know what I mean? They can give you a lot. If you show up and match that energy, they will give you a lot. But there are limits to it. And that's just the name of the game. Of course. It makes a lot of sense. Um, So you were talking about bonding. And Mm
0: -hmm. I, I love that aspect about socializing with your team. But again, we both were in the corporate world. And I don't know if you have this experience, but it happened that my chief would want us to connect, to make sure that everybody was well and so forth. So there was those team meeting where it was just about like sipping tea and just talking about life. So here's the thing that happened. There were some people who were actually looking forward to it there were some people who were not, especially introverted people. I'm uh ambivert. So in my case, I was really not looking forward to it, but I could deal with it. But the introverted people, they were talking to me and they were like, can they leave me alone? <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you is, I strongly believe that socializing with your team is very important for sure. But how do you do that while respecting their boundaries?
1: Ooh, uh, coming in with the good questions, I'm here for it. That to me, it boils down to actually knowing who's on your team, right? So for example, if I was coaching a leader, the leader who put together that team bonding exercise for your lovely team, we would talk through, first of all, do you know the personality styles that exist on your team? Like, that's so important. And I don't really care whether you're into understanding introversion versus extroversion, Enneagram, Disc, uh, human design, all of the things, but actually having a really good foundational understanding of what personalities exist on your team, first of all, because then we can start to design experiences that are actually supporting those personality types, right? So for example, on my team, none of us are actually extroverted. We're not, but we are not shy with one another. And when we first, you know, we're getting to know each other, we did lots of stupid little stuff like two truths and a lie. Never have I ever. And it would never be a big deal. We would always just like spend, you know, five, 10 minutes within a team meeting and be like, you know, what, let's do a round of two truths and a lie. I want to learn a little bit more about y'all. Or let's do a round of this, right? Totally casual, not a big production. We just kind of fit it in where we could get it in. But then, you know, with everything going on in the world, the pandemic, there was all this, you know, political things happening in the United States, all the things, my team was kind of stressed out. We had been really disconnected for some time and I just could feel we need something to bring us back together before we try to just dive right into, okay, it's a new year, let's get back to work, strategy, focus, all those things. So we literally planned a dang on murder mystery party, Erica. And it was so fun. (laughs) But like for us, the way I went about it, even just as a leader, one, I understood the personalities on my team. So I had, you know, pre-brainstormed a couple of different fun little stupid things that we could do. And I sent it out to the team and I was like, y'all vote, what y'all want to do? And I put it on them. They got to decide. We could have just sat there and drank wine and chatted. We could have, I think uh, karaoke was on that. There was a lot of stuff on the table and my team chose murder mystery. So what did I do? I made a murder mystery happen and it was hilarious. (laughs) I love that because you give them power. Yeah. Power
0: to choose how they want to entertain themselves. Oh, that's such a great idea. I love this. (laughs) And it's simple. It's simple. Let them choose, y'all. That's what it boils down to in a nutshell. It makes so much sense. Thank you so much for that. Okay. So we are coming to the end of this interview and I have two more questions for you. Okay. So one is a little bit tricky. It's regarding the pandemic. As you know, for some people, financially speaking, It's been difficult, but also mentally. And I feel like when you have a team of contractors who you don't see actually, so you don't know what's going on in their lives and so forth. And again, you still have to respect their boundaries. How should a solopreneur lead a team during this pandemic? Ooh,
1: I think with empathy and with communication. Those those are the two words that immediately came to me. Empathy because... It's just, we all know this, but it's just not a normal time. Um, More things are likely to come up, more interruptions, distractions, all the things. Just given the nature of everything happening, I know it's calmed down a lot, but empathy is really, really big right now. Um, And then beyond that, communication. And again, I'll even use myself as a personal example this winter was incredibly hard for me personally for a number of different reasons. Everything from loss in the family to my husband and I literally got COVID ourselves because my husband is a first responder. You know what I mean? All the things happened this winter. And I had to communicate that with my team and be really open with them because I'm not going to lie from a, you know, just the the things that they were used to were no longer possible for me. Like I just could not handle it. I had to take 10 steps back and take care of myself and my mental health. You know what I'm saying? So communication from you as the leader, first of all, if you're going through anything, so important, like be as transparent as you are possibly comfortable with because it will save your team members from just questioning you and being like, what the heck is going on with her right now? Um, But also with your team members themselves, particularly if it's possible there are more personal things going on. I would encourage you, and I know in this virtual space, we tend to do everything like group meetings, let's be efficient. We only talk every other week or once a month or what have you. I get it. But I do encourage you to try to connect with each team member one-on-one at least you know once a month, if, if not more than that. You know what I mean? Just because when it's a time like this and so much can be going on personally, and to be honest i would say this is this is at any time not just because things have been abnormally hard lately people aren't often comfortable talking about the hard things in a group setting So you as the leader have to create the space for your team members to share with you on a more personal level.
0: First of all, thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. What I remember about this is you you being genuine, you being authentic and, uh, and that's basically what it means to be human. So, okay, so here comes my last question. You are a business owner and I really wanna get value from you as a business owner. So I like to always ask my guests, what are their five most important tips
1: for solopreneurs trying to grow their businesses. Woo! okay. Uh, Tip number one, get comfortable asking questions of your audience. That is something I waited way too long to do. It's really important that if you're not, if you don't have a seat at the table, wherever your actual audience is, you get one if you don't know what rooms they're hanging out in, you figure it out and you get in those dang on rooms and you start asking questions and doing market research. Um, tip number two is probably, <laughs> it's funny, but it's listen to the dang on market research. You know what I mean? So I feel like, especially if you come to the table with like some bona fide expertise, the same way that I did, right? Like I have a degree in this, I work in corporate, like I know my stuff, you know? But at the same time, Coming When I came into entrepreneurship, I was thinking that I was going to be doing a lot of high-level leadership coaching and work from the get-go. And what I found is that what my audience actually needed was conversations like this around how to hire, what to do, how to figure this stuff out, right? So I had to actually listen to that market research and start to develop offers and services that met them where they were, okay? Uh, Tip number three for me would probably be to get a good support system. Um, I have a great one, and I've almost fallen apart probably a dozen times in this journey. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I will keep it real with you. I am an extremely confident person. I'm extremely confident in my knowledge and ability, but it is hard, okay? So get some people in your corner that you can really trust and talk to. What am I on? Tip number four, um, don't give up. Please just don't. It's, fu- I mean, it's like so cliche, but I, I told y'all, I think the first six months of my business, maybe I made five $500 or something like that. I'd have to go check, but it wasn't a lot of money. You know what I mean? And quite frankly, it was only within a few months ago, based on all of the investments that I've made, the the business coaches, the marketers, all the things, we finally kind of broke even from all of those investments and are now profitable, okay? So don't give up. Everything looks bright and shiny on Instagram. People thought I was making gazillions of dollars back when I didn't make any more than 500 in six months, okay? Screw what it looks like. Please just don't give up because now there's clients coming out the wazoo. It will happen for you to just stick around. And last but not least is, I think, be proud of yourself. And when people say nice things to you and you get those random messages on Instagram from like that high school person you didn't even know uh, knows you exist and they're just like, I just see what you're doing and you're so inspiring. Screenshot the heck out of that and put it in a folder because when you have them bad days, it's so nice to read, you know, those positive messages of people just telling you that they see you and they value what you're doing.
0: Nice. Well, thank you for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for for taking the time to answer my question. And before leaving,
1: would you mind letting know my audience where they could find you? Absolutely. So if you know my name, you pretty much know where to find me. I am at Tiana Tai on Instagram, Tiana Tai in Clubhouse, Pinterest, all the places. Uh, the best place to really get connected and start to dig into. I have a ton of free resources y'all like it's crazy so just go to tianatai.com and you can access all the freebies the podcast literally the whole shebang all things teams and leadership thank you so much have a wonderful day thank you well
0: guys i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did make sure you rate this podcast a five star it will help me keep this going talk to you soon